Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we hope you guys are having a productive and creative week. Uh, we're excited for episode two, Polyphonic Podcast, and to introduce our first guest, uh, my brother, Tay Beast, uh, TDE in-house producer. You know, this guy's worked on every Kendrick album from the very beginning, you know, along with the rest of the guys on TDE, like J-Rock, Absol, Schoolboy Q, uh, he's also worked with Mac Miller, Logic, uh, Big Sean. I mean, the, the list the list is crazy. Uh, let's get him on the line, though, and uh, get into some of these questions about his inspirations, uh, his process, early TDE days, um, and also just what it was like growing up in L.A. during, uh, you know, the, the golden era of West Coast music. Uh, let's patch him in. Yo, yo. Yo, what's up, man? What's poppin'? You... Can you hear us well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Great. Okay, dope. Yeah, we got you in here. Um, I hear, I hear the kids in the background. Yeah, little man. The little ones doing his thing right now. Of course, he wants to come closer now. What's up, little guy? Um, but yeah, man, we're we're excited to have you on the show. Excited to talk to you about um, kind of your come up in the earlier days. And uh, just share with the people some of the stuff that you've worked on, some of the stuff that you've done. Right. Um, and yeah. And just how, how you kind of, uh, your process in general. Oh, um, we got we got my my co-host, my brother, Mike Mash, on the line too. What's that, man? What up? What up, Mike? What up, Mike? Um, yeah, man. So we'll just, we'll, we'll jump right into it. Um, we got some, some questions for you. Did you want to set it off? Yeah. Let's... Uh... So I guess the first question I want to ask, I want to ask you and Mario is like, how did you guys link up? Man, uh, Matt McNeil, actually, uh, we got the same manager. Um, and you know, Matt had, had been talking to me about Mario for like a minute, like just quite some time, just really telling me like, you know, how he thought Mario was like the future of, you know, kind of like, um, <laughs> Uh, a big thing now. I mean, I it, I don't call Mario this anymore because I don't think it, the title fits. But sample creators. Um, but yeah, like he's like, hey man, dude, it's, it's crazy. Like you know, you think you guys are like mesh sound wise and everything like that. And um, just from that man, it grew into more of like a brotherhood than than just like a working relationship. Man. You know what I mean? so mm-hmm. Mario's like family, dog. It's crazy, but it's been like two years, Mario, something like that. Yeah, something like that, about two years. And yeah, it was the same way with me on my end too. Like, um, I I had already known about you, but Matt brought it up randomly where he was like, man, I need to introduce you to Tay. And I was like, Tay Beast? He's like, yeah, yeah, that's my guy. I'm like, Tay Beast from Digiphonics, Tay Beast? And he's like, yeah, bro. Like, okay, yeah, bet. And he put us in a group chat and that's kind of where it all started. That's dope. Crazy dope. I, I know you said something in some of your past interviews, but it was kind of perfect timing for both of you guys. You were making samples and you as a producer, you were looking to find these original samples and stuff like that because of splits and, you know, uh, trying to clear samples. Can you talk a little bit on that? Yeah, I mean, um, it's more of probably like the publishing companies, but it's like they're trying to make like sampling just like this challenging circumstance you know what i mean like i've had 
um, publishing companies come back and ask for 25 to 30 K just to clear like a sample that they probably wouldn't have even recognized if we released it anyway, you know what I mean? But just to not, you know, run into any legal issues on the back end. It's like, let's do the right thing. Let's, let's go in the right direction. It's like, it kind of takes away from the craft. You know what I mean? Like if you look at like the stuff we grew up off, like I grew up on like premier and quick and, you know, Dre and all these people and, you know, sampling was really heavy, you know, back when hip hop, you know, you know, took off and, you know, and all that. And it's just wild now to where it's like, they try to like get you away from doing that. And, um, you know, it, it, then I got into, you know, hearing about sample creators. It's like everybody was doing the same thing and that just didn't fit where I wanted to go. You know what I mean? So like Mario was like a total 360 from like everything else that was out. And I mean, outside of Mario, it's not too many people I mess with um, that create compositions and things like that. This is just at a different level. And, you know, nuts. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's most of what it is. It's just like, you know, I don't know if it's technically the publishing companies, but it's somebody that's really trying to kill the craft. You know what I mean? It just makes it challenging stuff. Yeah, everyone wants to eat a whole lot more than they need. Yeah, seriously. Um, and you, Mario, like, how how were you able to have like that foresight to know, like, all right, making these original compositions that you know people like Tay Beast and others would want to mess with? Like, what what made you start doing that? Um, I wouldn't even necessarily say it was like. I had this grand foresight of being like, ooh, this is what it is, it's gonna be. I just went off of feel and what everybody else wasn't doing. And I was always inspired by like them old jazz, gospel, soul, funk records. And my goal was always to try to figure out how to get my stuff to sound like that. And the more that I got into it and went down the whole spiral rabbit hole of like finding out about gear and all that, I like became a musician along the way and found my way into doing my own thing and seeing that like the people I wanted to work with also appreciated that aspect of it just as much as I did. Mm. And uh, what are some things that you were listening for in Mario that, that kind of caught your ear or, or not just Mario, but other sample creators that you, that you uh, mess with, uh, Tabies? Um, just like more originality. Um, you know, if you look at a lot of like sample creators, like look at like Q Beats and, and Frank Dukes, for example, um, it's like when they took off, everybody tried to mimic that sound. You know what I mean? So it was like everything you heard sounded like Q Beats. It's like, oh, I get a sample pack of like 20 samples. It's like, oh, Q Beats, Q Beats, Q Beats, Q Beats. And you get to like sample number 10. Oh, that sounds like Frank. You know what I mean? You go to the next sample, I'll strike again. So it's like with Mario, it, it just sounded like somebody knew it sounded like somebody that was trying to separate themselves from where everybody else was going. And it wasn't, you know, just, uh, like, you know, him chasing, you know, uh, placements or, or chasing a certain sound to where it's like, okay, yeah, I want to get on. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sound like everybody else. You know, he separated himself. And, you know, just with the TDE background that I have, that was the same thing with TDE is like when everybody got started, it was like, how do we, how, you know, do we separate ourselves from everybody else? And it wasn't like people were trying. It was just all organic. It was there. And that's the same with Mario. Like it's organic. Like it's not like he's trying to be different. He is different. You know what I mean? And I caught that. Like as soon as I heard it, it was like, damn, like I've never heard anything like this before. 
And um, I think the world is starting to notice that now too, man. Like it's crazy. Yeah, that's an ill point that you uh, bring up about not trying to be different, but just being different. I was listening to your uh, interview on Red Bull. Yeah. And you were saying that, um, you know, some producers overthink stuff. Uh, what would you tell to these young cats coming up on who are trying to be, who's trying to make the new, next sound, uh, you know, trying to start the next wave, but to have the confidence and find inspiration in, um, in being that, being that dude and going out there and uh, uh, being unique and original. I mean, one thing that's, that's uh, easier said than done um, is trying to identify what the next wave is going to be. You know what I mean? Um, it's like, if you listen to Kendrick, you know, you hear, uh, and I'm, I'm going to draw blanks right now too. Good Kid, Mad City. Um, Good Kid, Mad City doesn't sound like To Pimple Butterfly. Mm-hmm. To Pimple Butterfly doesn't sound like Dale. You know what I mean? So it's like, for him, even as an artist, he's identifying what's next. What do I want to do next? And I think with, you know, producers and, and, and sample creators or composers, it's kind of like the same thing. It's like, what's next? You know what I mean? What, what can I do next? Um, a lot of that is just being open and listening to all types of genres of music. You know what I mean? Not just saying, oh, I have to listen to, to trap. You know what I mean? You listen to jazz, you listen to pop. You can listen to, you know, EDM, you can listen to anything. It's like you draw sounds and you draw inspirations from just being open. Um, like a lot of times when I drive around, I just drive around with, you know, my phone on shuffle, just listening mm-hmm. to, you know, the things that, that come up. Um, it can be Miles Davis, it can be Stevie Wonder, it can be Young Boy NBA, it doesn't matter. It's like just hearing different things and being able to take different elements from these songs. I'm like, yo, that's crazy. Like, I should maybe try something like this. Yo, that's wild. I should try something like this. You know, jazz would sound maybe crazy over this hi hat pattern. You know what I mean? Um, just being real open and, and receptive to listen to different music and not really caring about what everybody else is doing or what everybody else is listening to. Like, I don't really listen to the radio at all. It was like the same song or rotation, you know, every hour. It's like, why do I want to hear this same song every 45 minutes? You know what I mean? Um, as a producer, uh, that's, you know, not going to do anything for me, but drive me to think this is what I have to do. I have to mimic this sound to mm. get placements and to be heard. That's um, real. So it's just, you know, being real open, man, listening to everything. I got stuff on my phone from the 60s, from the 70s. Um, you know, our current generation, everything. So it's just, you know, really about being open to everything. You know? Yeah, I feel that 100%. I'm, I'm the same way. Like every, every month, I'll, I'll get a ton of songs, whether it's like, stuff that I ripped off of my vinyl and put onto my iTunes, or if it's stuff that I got off of YouTube and put on, on my iTunes. And I just have that shuffling every month. I'm kind of just like opening my ears to different rhythms, different swings, you know, different genres and stuff. And then finding how I can take those influences and twist them into something that I got going on. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's very important for, for kids to just be listening to, you know, a ton of other music outside of just radio stuff. I think that's what makes both of you guys dope is that you guys are pushing the culture forward instead of like, you know, keeping it stuck in the mud at where it was. You know, you guys are looking for that next sound, keep pushing it forward. And and I, I think a lot of these young cats, like you guys were saying, that they want to, you know, they want to get on that um, to Pimp a Butterfly album where it's like that was how many years ago? Yeah, that already happened. You know, something, yeah. something new. 
and just giving them the confidence to like let them know like it's okay to be different and try different stuff you don't have to just follow what everyone else is doing you know 100 um yeah so I, I wanted to shift gears just a little bit uh and kind of kind of get into some uh some more stuff about what it was like for you growing up in la um during you know the the 90s and and being surrounded around you know tons of hip-hop legends and, and music that was coming out you know the dre's the nwa's the quick sugar freeze and and just what the energy was like for you coming up in that time man it's crazy because um my dad got me in all that like you know we're talking about what at the time like a 30 40 year old man with you know his seven to ten year old son in the back seat playing all kind of music with vulgar language in it and it was like you know, to him, and, and I'm kind of the same in this aspect now, it's like, you're going to hear it somewhere, I'd rather you hear from me. You know right. what I mean? To where, if you have questions about what is this, you know, what is that, I, I can explain that to you as your father to say, hey, you know, this is what this is, this is what that meant. And I was real curious too, I mean, when my dad, you know, he, he was hothead, you know, anyway, as a kid, you know, so I heard all of that coming out of his mouth anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but for him, you know what I mean? For him to play like the Marvin Gaye stuff and then for him to play like the MCA and like the quick and everything like that, that's where I kind of got my passion because I used to hear like some of the samples, some of the stuff, and I didn't know samples at the time, but I'll hear something he was listening to that I knew was old, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, the impressions of somebody. And then I'll hear that in uh, a rap record. And I'm like, what the hell? And I'm like, yo, they rapping over that one song. It's like, nah, they they stole it. That's what he used to call it. He used to call it stuff. <laughs> um, and, you know, then I, I kind of, you know, I got a little older, started asking questions. I had a cousin that used to work with Sir Jinx, um, you know, who kind of got me into like learning the NPC and everything like that. He started breaking down things a little bit more for me. Um, but a lot of that stuff we heard in LA music was the same stuff we seen at like the parks and, you know, just you know, late nights, you know, with things going on in the neighborhood. Um, so it was like connecting that music to reality at the same time. That's dope. Um, it was crazy, you know? And um, what about just like it in the household, you were saying, uh, what was like a lot of different type of music being played? Like I'm assuming probably like old Curtis and you mentioned the impressions yeah. and stuff like that. It, like- it kind of it depended on the night. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? Like if I yeah. had my uncles over, um, it was like Quick and uh, Compton's Most Wanted, mm. uh, N.W.A., um, if it was just my pops and he just had one of them nights where he liked drinking or something like that. And it was like Marvin Gaye, it was Curtis. Um, it was a little bit of Smokey, not a lot. Um, the impressions. Um, somebody used to Oh, uh, yeah, well, I'm drawing blanks right now too, bro. Uh, Teddy Pendergrass. Oh, yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it really just depends on the setting, you know what I mean? Um, like my dad was really in the mood to music, you know what I mean? Like if he's mm-hmm. feeling a certain type of way, he's like, oh, I'm going to put on this quick record. You know, if he's feeling this way, I'm going to put on, you know, this Marvin Gaye. And he had the violence, he had the cassette tapes, he had CDs. So it was just really about moves, man. And that's how we knew what type of mood my dad was in too, and when to ask and when not to ask for stuff. <laughs> yeah. Based on music, you know, <laughs> so it was pretty wild. Um, what, what would you say was like your first initial spark that like really really got you into beats you you said sir jinx kind of was mentoring you a little bit or showed you the ropes to some stuff what what was like when when did you lose the training wheels and was like all right I, i'm gonna start doing this on my own like what what or and what sparked that man it's a, it took a while actually um 
So when I was living with my cousin and working on the MP and like Jinx used to come through sometimes or whatever. Um, and it was more to work with my cousin. I was just like the, the fly on the wall, you know what I mean? And then, um, I met this guy, uh, Ricky Lewis, um, who goes by Rick Rude and, uh, THX, mm-hmm. uh, Jado. Um, it was like this public storage place in, in LA. It was like on Krisha. And it was like all these producers that worked out of this storage place under this, uh, this guy named Randy Thomas who used to kind of like write a lot of music back in the seventies too. So just kind of seeing them just working now with not only like an MP, but like a computer, it was kind of like, Oh, like you can do other stuff outside of, you know, this beat machine. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I ended up getting a laptop maybe like a couple years later, um, around the time I met Scott Hutch and Funny story, man. I didn't know that you were supposed to change the tempo when you made beats. Like, I didn't know about tap simple. I didn't know about none of that outside of the NPC. Like, I knew stuff on the NPC on a computer. For some reason, it did connect. It was, like, weird. So I will just, like, push record and start making drums. And for somehow, some reason, it was on. And it did make sense to me. But one day, I went Hutch. Hutch was like, man, something sound weird. And he clicks tap tempo. Mm-hmm. And the tap tempo and the beat didn't match. <laughs> he was like, bro, he was like, you see this right here? He was like, you got to change like tempo. So I had everything at like 95 or something like that. It was like stuck on 95. Mm. But the beat would be like one Daddy. or somehow still on. What's up, Okay, I got you. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, you know, at that point, like when I finally started kind of getting the hang of it, um, you know, myself outside of, you know, having my cousin around or seeing Jinx and seeing Rick and these guys. That's when I was like, okay, I can really probably do this on my own. You know what I mean? And I got into it. Like, ironically, man, trying to cook like 30 beats a day. They wasn't good. But, you know, just trying to be persistent. And like, yeah. Okay, hold on a second. Getting them repetitions in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how how did you and, and, and Hutch meet, by the way? Man, uh, me and Hutch actually stayed down the street from each other and didn't even know each other. Wow. So I stayed on, uh, we both stayed on La Brea. He stayed on the far side of Washington. I stayed at the bottom of the hill. Mm. Um, so we had a mutual friend that, again, you know, we didn't know about. Um, this guy named Mike. And I used to work with Mike out of his crib, too, for a little bit. Like, uh, he was trying to, like, build, like, a little label or something, you could say. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mike stayed around the corner from his dude named Mel. And, you know, Mike's like, oh, Mel said he got a producer, man. He wants you to meet so you know he bought hush through we sitting there we working together and we kind of vibe real quick mm-hmm. and then um at the time i had no whip or nothing like that so i'm like man i gotta uh gotta get on this bus get back to the crib Hush like man when you live i can drop you off i'm like i'm on uh labrea washington at the bottom of the hill he's like i'm on the corner of labrea washington like, what the <laughs> hell it's like i've never known these guys in my life um and then we just started vibing from there you know what I mean? Me and Hutch probably like 20 years in as well. Man, that's crazy. Shout out to Hutch too, man. Um, Yeah. During that time, were you guys doing uh, beat tapes? Nah, man. So I kind of got into the beat tapes by seeing like um, the first beat tape I saw, I think it was like Swift D. And um, people were like, no, you should do a tape. You should do a tape. And I'm like, nah, I'm cool, man. I want to do a tape because I don't want to feel like I'm kind of jumping on like the back of somebody else, you know, doing something in the area. And they're like, dude, Dylan's been doing it. Matt's been doing it. You're not jumping on the back of somebody because you might have felt like you've seen somebody else do it. And I was like, man, you know, it's just another way to get exposure. 
Um, so yeah, I was actually that was the first beat tape I put out. I can't remember what year that was, um, but that was around the time that you know some stuff got moving for me, like with Dot, you know, punching some other people it was around that time. So I'm actually happy that I did that. But um, after like my second one, I didn't really feel like I had anything else to offer in that, you know, lane with like beat tapes and anything like that. So I retired officially after that second tape I put out. So then you started working with, uh, the story I heard or read was that you uh, started working with TDE through Absol first? Yeah, so I, um, I went to a Curtis King session and um, he had called me. He's like, yo, I want you to do this record that I'm going to do with this dude named Absol. And I actually saw Soul perform uh, in a valley like a month or two before that. Thought he was crazy. I was like, man, I don't want to work with this dude. But, you know, at the time, especially when you meet people, you know, kind of like words get passed back and forth and nothing really ever happens. You know what I mean? So I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I was like, I may be. So he's like, okay, sure. You know what I mean? He kind of kept pushing. Then when I ran into him at the session, he's like, oh, I think I remember you from like a couple weeks ago. And um, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'll play some beats. And, um, you know, Soul was just chilling. And I'll start playing beats, playing more beats, playing more beats. And then he lifted his head up. He was like, okay, for sure. He's like, hey, man, you got some shit like that. Exchanging numbers with Soul in the middle of the uh, the Curtis King session, and I got a call from Day Free, like two three days later, and he's like, "Yo, man, I'm over here at you know this label we building or whatever." He's like, "I want you to come through and meet the guys." And um, at the time, I only knew about J Rock and Soul because I seen Soul before. I know anything about Q. I know anything about Dot. And um, I actually went over to the Carson studio at like one two in the morning one night, and um, met Wave, met Dot. Met J Rock, played some beats for Dot, and that was kind of just where it kind of got started. Uh, one of the first beats I played for him that I actually ended up putting on my beat tape too was uh, Growing Apart, the record that he did with Janae off of OD. And uh, Cut You Off was another one of those beats that I played. That's so, um, crazy. Yeah, that's kind of just where it got started, man. It's just been, you know, family ever since. And, and so you had already known Dave Free? before the the whole meeting at the, the at the session nah i didn't so he got my number from soul i didn't know who he was either and it was one of those things i was like man I don't, you know i should roll over there and not roll over there and uh, my boy just happened to be in my crib that night he's like man let's just go he's like we ain't doing number beats anyway he's like let's just mm-hmm. go over there so um yeah man we dipped through and i think j-rock was there for like five minutes like j-rock came in and out i ended up just kind of talking to that away like the whole night just playing beats and um I mean, a year later, bro, we're here. You know what I mean? So, pretty crazy moment. And I didn't know until I was doing my research for for this interview, but two songs, one song that got, that made me just like the biggest fan of Kendrick Lamar was uh, Cut You Off. I mean, I mean, just, I mean, I was reading Napoleon Hill at that time. It was just, it was just, it just hit at the right time. And another one that I didn't know you did that really hit me hard was Real Real Thinkers by Absol, huh? You did yeah, that one? Yeah. Yeah, yep, did that one too. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. A, those are, uh, you know, these are time capsules that, you know, are pivotal times in people's lives and stuff. And like the impact that you guys as creators have on people's lives, you guys don't even know the half of it. Like I was in St. Louis on tour with, uh, Shabazz and Real Thinkers came on when I was parking the Sprinter van. I just sat there at the parking lot just like, dang. Like, it just elevated my mind, just the sound and the lyrics. It just, 
it was yeah i was a real thinker at that moment you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. I, I think dope. i think that you dope. guys like were really responsible all of you guys collectively of like shifting the whole sound of like the new west coast of like a passing of the torches of it going from like the drays to the quicks and the battle cats and all that to like a new sound coming to what was going to like identify with the coast and it's, it's amazing it's it's crazy man it's crazy to see that and like funny like i've known you for some time now and i know the majority of your stuff and when bro said that he's like so you know he did cut you off too i was like what that's like the That's sneakiest crazy. record to me and and again one of my favorite like early kendrick songs too that really got me on the same same tip i was like at a point too where i was just trying to find myself more and, and deeper thinking and all that and he captured a feeling for me too and to know that you had your hand in that too is just like crazy to me now <laughs> that's amazing though yeah that's hella amazing appreciate it man um, yeah so um i guess uh, just touching up on that with you guys uh all meeting at the studio and everything is that how the digiphonics formed and like did you guys talk about it or what was the like okay we're all you know kind of building this label this family we're all around each other let's take it to this now or like what was how did that come about that was uh dave's idea actually man so dave had, um, you know, because Dave was in a production too. Dave was also producing records. Mm -hmm. And he was like, man, we should just like, you know, form a collective as well. You know, Dave kind of understood, you know, the branding and, and everything and as such. So he was like, yo, let's put this together. Let's brand it. And um, we ran with it. You know what I mean? It, it, it kind of didn't really take on the, uh, the life that I thought it would. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, you know, at the same time, everybody kind of grew, you know, into their own direction and uh, had their own things going on. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, just, you know, the four guys that were associated with it, you know what I mean? We had some pretty dope records um, just over time. You know what I mean? What do you see? Um, I know you said that, you know, beat tapes is kind of the thing of the past. Where do you see now, like for a few, for the future for producers how they can you know get their name out there is it is it working on albums or eps like you did with nick grant or what's the what's the new move for producers yeah i would i would say the ep thing man like if you look at you know myself i mean i only have the one out now um might have some other stuff in the turnpike i'm gonna speak too early or prematurely before i kind of wrap some things up um but you know look at kenny beats like kenny has tapes with a lot of people you know all black um, Ultra Greedo, uh, Rico Nasty, you know what I mean? Um, Fat Man Key. Yeah, Fat Man Key. Yeah. And then looking at like Mike Will and uh, DJ Mustard being listed as features on records, you know what I mean? Um, you know, one of the things that I've kind of always had an issue with is is not feeling that producers get enough light at times, you know what I mean? Um, I, I argue with like friends outside of the music industry all the time that don't feel as if the producers are as important as the artist and not to say that the producer trumps the artist by far, but I'm just saying there, there's a, a collection there. There's a relationship there. It's like, you can't have one without the other. Um, you know, in some cases you can, you know, you'll have instrumental EPs that people will listen to. I think it's rare that somebody will listen to an acapella EP. Um, but, you know, again, you know, people don't know who did what, you know what I mean? It's like, some producers like it that way, you know what I mean? Because they're, they're, they're settled and fine off in life and, and, and living the life that they want to lead. 
and nobody knows who they are. You know what I mean? I'm kind of like that to myself. Like I don't really like to put my face out there a lot. I'm not really big into social media or anything like that. Um, but you know, I think, you know, producers now have to kind of put a little bit more slide on themselves too. Like you look at a lot of producers have tags now, you know what I mean? So you hear their name within the record. You know, you see Mike Will, you see Mustard listed as features. You know what I mean? You see Kenny Beats doing his EPs, my EP with Nick. Um, mm-hmm. So it's great, I think, you know, for artists, our producers, I'm sorry, that are coming up, to find an artist that they vibe with, you know what I mean? To start putting tapes out and start doing things like, you know, what Primo and, and, and Guru did with Gangstar, what Havoc and Prodigy did with Mob Deep, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And things of that such. Um, so that's kind of where I am now. I mean, outside of, you know, just wanting to work with people. I mean, there's still artists that I haven't worked with that I would love to work with. Um, but outside of that and doing the placement thing or whatever, um, again, just probably continuing to do EPs um, just with the right artists. You know what I mean? Something that you said that made a big impression on me was working with Mac Miller and how polite he was and how genuine of a duty was and yeah. how how is that important with you and your relationship with the artist um you know it's dope because you know one thing about mac is that you know you were always informed on what was going on with records you know what i mean it's like you'll work on something together um you know he'll keep you in contact like yo i know like we had a song and it never came out um like he had recorded a song and then he hit me. He's like, yo, I love this record. I don't feel like it fits on this album, but depending on where this goes, I, I want to keep this. Do you mind me holding on to this record? And I'm like, yeah, do you think, you know what I mean? He'll call and ask like, it's funny. He called me to ask me if it was cool with John Mayer playing guitar on small worlds. I said, why not? <laughs> why, why, why wouldn't I be cool with, with John Mayer playing on the record? Um, but just stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like he, he wanted to keep people informed. Um, you know, on what was going on. Um, you know, he wanted you to, to, to criticize or be critical on, you know, things that he said in the records as well. And wanted your honest feedback. Um, instead of him just, you know, doing his own thing, like you're starting the record together, him going off, uh, stripping it, having 19 other people come in and change X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, that just wasn't where he was at. And not that I have a problem with that either. If it's communicated, is just again like he kind of kept you more informed on, on what a lot of other people do that I you know worked with in my past. So I definitely appreciated him for all that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, respect. One thing that has been a blessing, what I've noticed just from the outside looking in, is you know everyone wants all these uh, fees for the for sampling and whatnot. Is the fact that you guys are able, other producers, they are doing way more collaborations together. And yeah. that you guys are working together, and it's not. It, there's probably still some competitiveness in it, but I know that it's dope from the outside looking in how you guys are collabing and really putting your creative forces together. Can you can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, man. It's um. I think it's actually pretty dope to you know involve the right people. Up. You know, for me, like I I can't do everything. I'm not a lot. You know what I mean? I'm not a bass player. I'm not you know, a keyboardist, I can't play guitar, I can't play the sax, you know, I can't, I can't play violin. I know what sounds right, you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, if I hear something and I'm like, yo, this person could elevate it to this next level, I'm going to go to that person like, yo, like, I got this record. It's not really where I want it to be right now, but I think you can kind of take it to that next level. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm all fine, you know, going there. It's like, you know, you don't get an extra, you know, trophy, an extra Grammy or anything for doing everything by yourself. You know what I mean? It's like, it is what it is. It's like collab, you know, do what works best for the record. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just kind of where I am. Like, if it's something that I'm like, oh, I can, you know, get it to where I want it by myself. I mean, that's just what it is. But it's like, I'm all for what sounds the best, the best product. If that means involving one, two, three, four other people, I mean, that's just what it is. You know what I mean? So again, it's all about, um, you know, the best product. And again, you know, the relationship that you build with people during those times too is, you know, that's great. You know, mm-hmm. to have now friendships and, and stuff like that, the people that I work with. So I've been all fine with it. Yeah, that level of professionalism that both you and Mario have is is dope to see that it, you know can translate into even outside of music. What's your thoughts about? I know you know some of these young cats. They ask like, "Yo, what about splits? Should I get more than this dude?" Or what? What's your thoughts on that? I mean, about you know, no one needs to be greedy, right? Nah, I mean, um, I kind of go into everything looking at it fifty fifty at the beginning. Um, if that changes somehow along the way with somebody else, and again, it's never usually on my side, not to say that I'm just like this easygoing guy, but you know, if I call somebody or I'm working on a record with somebody, or I used a, a, a composition from somebody, I'm automatically going to look at it as a 50, 50. Then when it gets down to it, you know, if somebody wants to take a bigger piece of the pie and it just doesn't really work out the way that you envision it working out, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and continue to tie things up and, and prolong any records either, but that's how you know who you move forward with and who you don't move forward with. Um, you know, I've had people that I've worked with that they're like, oh man, but I did this, I did that, and I changed this, and I changed that. And the record wouldn't have started if I didn't say this. And then it's like you're looking at it looking like, oh, you know, 60, 40, 70, 30. So I'm like, okay, you know what I mean? Uh, let's just get it done. You know what I mean? And then you move forward and proceed however you seem fit. Um, so again, I think, you know, it's, it's all a learning experience. You know what I mean? So for me, I'm, I'm cool with what everybody or what anybody wants to take um, as far as splits go. But again, I think you learn, you live and you learn off of those type of uh, situations. You know what I mean? You know how to proceed after that. Yeah. I think, I think that's a really, really good attitude to have. And just from what I know about you too, like there's no ego involved with you. You know, it's, yeah. it's about let's get the song done. Let's get it out. And like you said, you know, a, a lot of people kind of just show their true colors with you out even having to ask them. They kind of, you know, you can see it. And it's almost like a flag for you to know for the future, you know. Right. Um, 100%. Yeah. One uh, one other thing, too, that I wanted to talk about was just kind of workflow. Um, and if you have like what your discipline is like with beats and, you know, your schedule. And I know it's probably changed um since your life has kind of changed a little bit with kids and stuff in in the yeah. years but like even in the past have you always had kind of like a set schedule or or what's what's um yeah what's your flow kind of been like with that um i used to work a lot at night like i used to get more vibes from working at night and i think it had to do with like going to a lot of studio sessions that were at night too so it was like, if I wasn't in a session, it was kind of like I had this predetermined mindset that this is where my best work was going to come out of was at night. Um, then the more things started to grow a little bit, I kind of had like days of the week that I didn't 
you know, work like when I had kids, I'm like, yo, I'm gonna take these days off to to have family time and these days I'm gonna have dedicated to work. Um now it's a more of like, you know, I work in sessions and then when I'm at home I work based off feelings. You know what I mean? Like I wake up at six AM. Yeah. It's also Okay. You know, if I wake up, you know, early and you know I have a, a urge to to do something that I might have heard yesterday. You know, I might work at six AM, I might work at ten. Um, I prefer mornings now. I think, you know, moving forward, like eventually I want to get into like a nine to five production schedule thing, you know what I mean? Um, and just have the nights off with like this little guy right here that's running around the house. Nah, okay, open it. Wait one second. No, look. Okay. Hold on. See, there's nothing. Not right now. Well, yeah, um, that's just kind of where it's at. I want to go. You can't go out there. My bad. How old are He's, your seeds? Man, my son's two. Uh, my daughter is nine. So the two-year-old is the one who kind of runs the house and kind of tells everybody what to do. Like he just pushed me in the room and I think he's about to close the door. There we go. That's crazy. I got a seven-year-old and a one-year-old. And... Oh, man. How, is any one of them a boy? No, both girls. Okay, you you good then. My yeah. daughter was chill, bro. My daughter was chill. My son is amped up from the moment he wakes up to when he goes to sleep, dog. There's not a downtime at all, bro. He's Get ready to go. The money. Yeah, he's ready. Yeah. So with these young cats, you know, coming out, they're uh, you know, some of them are working a job, part time job, and then also doing beats. I yeah. mean, it's nothing like having kids and also trying to work, but what's the suggestion you give to them trying to find that work-life balance and the kind of like, you know, they're passionate about making this music, but they also got to make money to, you know, just that grind of coming up. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to do what you got to do. You got to one, be able to live. You know what I mean? So if, if music ain't paying rent or house notes or car notes, medical insurance, you got to do what you got to do. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, especially when you have like families and stuff like that too. But sometimes, like, something's got to fund your habit. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, music ain't cheap, dog. Like, you know, luckily for me, I got a laptop from a friend, you know, when I was, you know, first getting into music. But when I first bought my first computer, I'm like, oh, this is what a laptop costs. You know what I mean? But I wouldn't have been able to do that, you know, without some type of cash flow, you know, buying keyboards, buying VSTs and MIDI controllers and all that stuff. You can't go out there right now. Um, you got to be able to fund it in some type of way, you know what I mean? So that means coming from the job. Yeah. Can't go out there right now. This is that. This is that run for the money I was talking about. <laughs> Hold on a second, okay? Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you got to, you know, if you could find a balance. And again, like with jobs, man, you're not going to be there 24 hours a day. You know what I mean? So if you work, you get off work, you know, knock out what you got to knock out. I remember uh, reading a story about Cardo, and he actually told me in person like some years ago. So he used to make beats at work. You know, mm. before he really got got to move it. Now, I mean, everybody's not going to have that luxury. Um, but, you know, if you have lunch breaks and stuff like that, too, you know, you got your laptop with you or whatever the case might be, you knock off some ideas. But, you know, you, you got to keep things moving. But, you know, at the same time, you got to live. You know what I mean? The music money ain't always the quickest at times. Um, so you got to do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. What about you, Mario, coming up? I know you, you had a couple of warehouse jobs when we, when we were super young trying to make beats and working at the warehouse. How was that for you? And what, what, do you, what are your suggestions for these young cats coming up? 
Um, I think ultimately it just, it comes down to, you know, your drive and your passion. And at some point you just, you know, everybody has different life circumstances and you just have to find a way, you know, to get through it. I remember I had made some poor decisions in my life, so I didn't have a license at the time. Uh, so I had to catch a bus at like six in the morning that went to my warehouse job that was like 45 minutes out. Um, so I'd fall asleep on the bus, walk from the bus to my work, which was like a 10 minute walk. Uh, and if you live in Washington, you know, 80% of that time is rain, wind, or cold. Uh, and that was almost like a driving force for me where I was like, man, I'm not trying to do this my whole life. I need to get my ish together. And that was like motivation. When I came back from work, I would get on the laptop and just make beats you know, do what I needed to do, wake up the next morning, tired, do it all over again, sleep on the bus, walk back to the thing and, you know, do my work. Luckily, the warehouse job was cool. I didn't have no like boss breathing down my neck and, you know, telling me to do this or that. But at the same time, it was still just like mentally exhausting, waking up and and taking, you know, that whole trip to work and then come back. But like I said, it's, it's like you have to discipline yourself mentally. And, and if you really want it, you're going to find a way to, to push through it. Right. Yeah. I think a good impression to be made to those that are listening is that everyone has to pay their dues. You know, um, it's mm. tough, you know, and you're going to go through these, uh, your mental health is going to be tested for sure. Mm. But uh, you got to keep on pushing. You got to keep it going. I wanted to switch gears and ask about uh, your your dude, uh, Nick Grant. He's pretty, he's pretty fresh with the wordplay, man. Man, I got it. Yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> that humble. Uh huh. So, what what got you guys working together, and uh, how did that come about? Man, we actually met uh, when Mario was in L.A. We uh, it was an artist. Um, we went to artist sessions. Uh, somebody that was working with Nick at the time, and um, you know, I was in there making a beat. Uh, with Mario and I think uh, Leon was there too. Mm -hmm. uh, shout out to Leon and um, you know Nick got there and you know he's just in the corner he's just chilling you know what I mean he's kind of like rapping to himself or whatever and then once he recorded you know it was kind of one of those eyebrow raisers like, everybody wow. looked at each other like what <laughs> the hell like yeah. yo yeah I remember that vividly yeah and it was actually Mario's suggestion man Mario's like man you should work with him and I was like, damn, dog. I was like, yeah, EP would be crazy. And like me and Mario kind of talked about it a little bit outside. Then I talked to Nick about it. And he was like, man, I'm, I'm down. He was like, whatever. You know, let's just get it going. And um, I mean, it, it, it took a couple months after that because, you know, just really trying to figure out like, uh, you know, where he was at this stage in his career. Um, you know, I didn't know if he was signed or anything like that. And of course, labels get involved with stuff and, you know, whatever idea you have, the label's going to shoot it down. There, there's no way to work around that. Um, but, you know, he was in a good spot. I was in a good spot. And, you know, it's crazy because, I mean, just when we were thinking we were about to get into a workflow, then we had COVID hit. Mm. Um, to where I thought we were going to lose a lot of steam, man. But a lot of things happened in between that time socially, too. Um, which had us both just really amped to get back together and, um, and finish up, you know, where we got started. Um, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the stuff that, that happened in between that time was unfortunate, um, but I feel like it really gave us the drive to, to do something that we felt needed to be done. The timing, um, the timing of all that, right? It came together yeah. like 
just at the right time. Yeah, man. Wow. But yeah, man, that, that guy's uh, that guy's something special, man. I ain't gonna lie. It's a, it's a crazy kid. What do you look for when uh, artists that you want to work with, or what caught you when Nick Grant came to the what the, the lyrics, the delivery, or what was it specifically? Yeah, it, it's kind of more of like the delivery, um, you know, and just him having like the confidence to like, mm-hmm. um, he'll probably kill me for saying this, but you know, it kind of reminded me of like Nas and Jay. Um, cause like when you hear Nas rhyme, it's, it's not that only that he's just extremely talented and, and is just bar for bar amazing. Nas, I'm probably one of the biggest Nas fans, but there's a confidence in his voice and in his tone. You know, you listen to Jay, Jay's confident swag bar. You know, I mean, you have to have the confidence and the swag nowadays to, to sell music or to, to be, you know, an artist. I mean, nobody wants to hear anybody, at least me, that, that doesn't sound confident. The stuff you say, I want to be able to believe that that's you. You know what I mean? I'm going to have a hard time with, you know, somebody saying this and that. And then it's like, man, that's not the lifestyle that you live. You know what I mean? And me not even knowing Nick personally, like the things that I hear him say. And I mean, now knowing him more, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is there, there, there's real things associated here. But, um, you know, he has that confidence, you know what I mean? And, and, that was like one of the biggest things for me too um with him and you know it was crazy like i think the first record we did um was just like us trying something and i'm happy we both was like nah that's not it (laughs) you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um because i mean i'm looking at it like you know trying to figure out what is it that's gonna separate us to make people want to press play and you know him looking at this is kind of like a restart from where I was or where I started, um, you know, just now jumping back into, you know, putting out a project. Cause I don't think Nick had put anything out in a few years prior to this. Um, and, you know, for both of us, it was like, it is real key that we couldn't strike out. You know what I mean? It's like, whatever it was, this was the only chance that we had. You know, I mean, once we got out of our own heads and stopped trying to think about what it is that people want to hear from me or from him, um, you know, we just worked freely. And, you know, I'm just glad at at how it's been received from people and and, uh, things I've heard back from, you know, fans and and whoever likes sending me DMs and, you know, people I know. I've I've read across some label people I know that I didn't even think heard the project. They're like, yo, I heard that project you did with with Nick. It's just crazy. What I think is dope about God Bless the Child is that he has a he has a good balance. You know, he's going to tell you how fresh he is and he's going to show you how fresh he is. But he's also going to slide in some game and some knowledge. I mean, yeah. he talks about Fele Kuti. He talks about uh, Matula. You know what I'm saying? He just he puts game in there that you know if you if you look deep into it that you know you can find some good knowledge out of that. You know, hundred mm-hmm. percent. I wanted to ask, uh, what was the inspiration on the samples and like the direction that you guys did on that on that project? Uh, you know, once we I think Feds was the first serious record we did. We had two songs prior to Feds. Uh, I'll probably never play for anybody. Not that they was terrible. I'm just not going to play for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when we did Fed, so Mario had sent me uh, the composition. 
And um, I was like, man, this is wow. And on the spot, like I start trying to build like an idea for it. And um, Nick walked in. And I think we did the first verse. And then just hearing all the different elements of feds kind of set up the direction after that. You know what I mean? At least for me, because I think that was the the last session we had before everything kind of got locked down. You know what I mean? Like the studio had closed. Um, you know, me having kids, you know, and, and a wife. I didn't really know the the effects of, of COVID or anything like that. So I wasn't trying to take no chances with nothing. I wasn't even mm-hmm. out. You know what I mean? So from about like early March till sometime in May, like we didn't link up person to person. Like we just kind of like talked on and off and had conversations. Um, you know, in between that time, like the canine beat was made. Um, I think we went through like four different versions of Black Windows. Um, Love and Bless the Child were made a couple of weeks maybe before the project dropped. Um, and that was, again, just, you know, looking at everything that was going on in the media, um, you know, social injustice and things that are such, and just kind of having conversations with Nick about, you know, those ideas and those things too. Um, you know, ideas based off of what was going on and just what was going on that we felt uncomfortable about. Um, and then, you know, just looking at feds, you know, it's, it's there's a lot of jazz in feds, you know what I mean? Um, you know, from the composition and from, you know, the post-production. So it was kind of like a foundation to say whatever is made around this has to fit in some way, shape, or form. Mm. You know what I mean? You couldn't have feds and then a trap record after that. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like whatever it is has to fit. Like it has to be musical. It has to be a sound foundation. Um, So that was kind of for me, you know, from a production aspect, like that was where I was. And that's why, you know, a conversation I have with him too, I'm like, yo, whatever it is now, we have to make sure that we incorporate some of the same elements to tie everything into one. Um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it just luckily it worked out the way it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a, a super cohesive vibe to all of it from like, even outside of the samples, just like the post-production work, you know, like a lot, a lot of the, the records have little details here and there that kind of tie the story in together, which I, yeah. I think it was pieced together really well. What was going through your mind or what inspiration did you have to make you add the second part to black windows, the switch up? Man. So it's funny story. Me and Mario know, but um, the original sample um, from black windows is is tied up. And um, then we were going back and forth on it. And then I'm like, man, I got to try to figure out now how to, incorporate you know something that works that still fits the drums and as well will be cohesive and connect to everything else especially being at the time it was like the fourth song on the project it wasn't even the last like k9 was the last and um i think i did two versions and i sent them back to mario and i'm like what do you think about these and i think it was one he kind of messed with more than the other then i sent them both to nick like one thing I hate is like because it's kind of like not really like a slap in the face but just like me sometimes like I'm not cocky at all but there's certain things that bother me to where I can come across as cocky it's like when you send somebody something and they don't get back to you at all so I sent two versions of Black Windows to both the mix Nick at Truth Studios and Nick Grant 
I didn't hear nothing back from them. Like the night went by, I didn't hear nothing. Next morning went by, I didn't hear nothing. So I'm hot. I did another version and I was just listening to it. And then, um, you know, the same thing with the original version and Mario served the original version too, and probably contested this, is that it just sounded like just one big rap. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't enough going on beat wise um, that moved me. And, you know, sometimes people get tied to the original. So Nick Grant was so tied to the original. It was kind of like he didn't want to hear anything else. You know what I mean? So when I made the final version with the beat change, Mario was the first person I heard it. He heard it before Nick heard it. And when Mario went crazy, I was like, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and the, the, the inspiration to get behind that was, um, one, feeling that I needed to do something that I felt that if I put this in the text, you're going to call me or FaceTime me. You're not going to leave me unread. So it was kind of like a cocky thing for me. Like I was upset at the fact that nobody got back to me. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make some crazy shit. And mm. um, that's just kind of what happened. You know what I mean? And again, when I sent it to Mario and he went crazy, I was like, yeah, this is the one. So I didn't even put it in the text after that. I just called Nick and was like, yo, meet me at the studio tomorrow. I got something to play for you. Mm-hmm. And then when I played it on the spot, it was like, wow. And then it's like, nobody even cares about the original version anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, this is you know, one. not that it was terrible, but this was like pushing that one out the door mm-hmm. nine times out of ten. Yeah, man. Um, so kind of kind of winding down with the interview, I just kind of wanted to ask a couple little quick rapid fire questions. Um, what are your biggest producer influences and why and why? Um, dude, RZA. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, vocal samples, you know what I mean? I think he was kind of one of the first guys I heard just really going crazy with samples to have vocals on the inside. Like I was always afraid to touch like a sample if it had vocals in it at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll say RZA. Now I'll say Kanye. Um, I liked, you know, the way Kanye chopped drums around samples. Mm-hmm. And then just Dilla because um, of beat swings. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, um, you know, he was nuts with that. You know what I mean? Like that's, well, Dilla didn't even do the record. He was on the record, but um remember slum village the reunion mm-hmm. um that's the reason i made the turn me up some beat wow. I was trying to duplicate that you know what i mean like um to practice i always used to try to remake beats yeah so when i was working on that or trying to make or remake that beat for practice i heard something else within the sample and it turned out you know to be to be turn me up so but yeah definitely those three rizzo kanye and uh Dylan. I, yeah, it's crazy. I, I definitely hear a lot of that influence in your music and out of all, definitely Dilla. Like you have swing to all your drums. Like nothing is perfectly on time. There's like either a little latency or just a little bit of, you know, uh, d- delay. There's just a swing. Yeah, I definitely be delaying drums, man. Like I don't really tell a lot of people, but I always move it back. Something mm. like a pitch. Yeah. Just to where it doesn't sound too stopped. So. Uh, what was that. Got that from Dilla. what was uh your first big placement man first big one and like to me or just probably from people to to you personal um shoot uh probably hood politics hood po- that's crazy 
Yeah, I mean, it, it was the one that got the Grammy now. Um, so that was kind of just like, you know, just going to the ground was just a different thing for me. You know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. because of that record and that album. See, I, w- I would say that the politics. That that probably answers the the last question I was going to ask is favorite Kendrick placement. Uh, yeah, I mean, the other ones kind of don't count because they weren't like on a major, but probably uh, Ronald Reagan there. Mm, yeah. Dope, man. Well, Tay, not going to uh, take up too much more of your time. I know you got stuff around the house to attend to. But, uh, oh, yeah, man, man, little guy. We just we want to thank you for stopping by, uh, having this conversation with us, and just kind of giving you know the younger generation a look into you know, your process, your background, your way of thought. Uh, yeah, man, we appreciate you. Sure, man. Appreciate you, guys. Thank you. Yeah, I want to say how much I appreciate both both uh tay beast and uh mario and uh what you guys are giving back not just what you guys are doing creative wise but also like the vibe you guys are putting out there you guys are respectable dudes you guys are you know you guys are stand-up dudes and uh for, for those that are listening you know do whatever you can to help fight these social injustices whether it's going to be voting whether it's going to be giving back some way uh, whatever you got to do man I mean, that's what this hip-hop thing's about.